0: Hi, welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast. I'm Jen Thurman. Today I want to talk about self-limiting beliefs. I've had a few discussions with clients this past week or two, which echo a really common refrain. It's a flavor of imposter syndrome that sounds something like this. Maybe I'll never be able to break the barrier from VP to SVP. If it hasn't happened yet, maybe it's never going to happen. Or... I'm starting to wonder if I'm just not C-level leadership material. I mean, I've been holding here as an SVP for years now. Or who am I to think I can eject my doctoral research into this tangle of this ideological divide? These three examples are real-life examples of discussions I've actually had these last two weeks, and they come from people I admire and happen to hold as perfect and inspiring examples of intelligent, talented, capable, compassionate leadership. The thing is almost everyone experiences this sense of feeling like they've reached their peak potential at one time or another. Whether it's wanting the next level in a corporate hierarchy or securing investors for a new idea or mastering an instrument or wanting to do 10 chin-ups at the gym. There's often a point where we tell ourselves, I'm just not built for this. Or I don't have that extra something that pushes other people over the line. And of course, I've got examples of this in my own life and career. Today's little take myself less seriously story is an experience I just had last year uh, as the as the latest lesson learned in my amateur cycling career. But We have to rewind just a little to set the context here. When I was young, I was not very athletic. In fact, as time went on, I did everything I could possibly do to stay out of organized sports. At age six, I was the youngest and shortest member of the community swimming team when we lived in Virginia. Um, And I learned much later that all the cheering that I heard back then for me, go Jenny, go Jenny, go Jenny that I distinctly remember was because all the parents were simply cheering me on to finish. I had a short stint, again when I say short, I was the shortest girl on the team, as the point guard in my sixth grade basketball team, and an even shorter experience on the track team my eighth grade year. I ran the 400 because no one else wanted to. It wasn't that I wasn't coordinated. I could dance, and I loved gymnastics, of course until I fell on my head doing a back handspring, but if But if I wasn't going to be the best at it, I really didn't want to do it. So by the time I got to high school, I was a self-described music and drama kid. I hated gym class, especially dodgeball days. And I always pulled the period card when we were forced to run the mile on Fridays. I claimed weak ankles and migraines to not have to play field hockey. And finally, completely rebelled at the end of a week's long unit of golf, which culminated in a trip to the local golf course my senior year. After five frustrating holes, I threw down my golf clubs and huffed back to the clubhouse where I hid in the bathroom and smoked cigarettes until everybody else got back. I mean, ew. Needless to say, sports and exercise were not my cup of tea. So fast forward to about 1998. I moved with my two small kids to family student housing at CU Boulder where I was getting my undergraduate degree and ultimately my master's. Boulder is one of the fittest cities in the United States, and I found myself making friends with a lot of young parents who were runners, cyclists, or triathletes. And at some point, I started running. A good story on its own, but we're fast-forwarding. And then I started biking, and then I added swimming. And I chugged along with this for a few years, laughing at my grandma's shuffle and taking rebellious pride in my heavy old Trek with shifters on the down tubes. In a city of elite athletes, I never aspired to place or win. I simply was doing events to see how I can improve my own times from one event to the next. So organized cycling, running, and triathlon became a part of my regular life about 15 years ago, and I've been hooked ever since. So here's here's where we're at, the actual story I want to tell. Last year, my husband and I were participating in a race event at the Amgen Tour of California, Um, Our coaching outfit, CTS, puts on this great race experience in conjunction with pro races uh, around the United States, and um, we get like a few hours head start on the professional cyclists each day, and we ride for dear life trying not to get pulled over as the peloton overtakes us. Each day of these race experiences is between 85 and about 130 miles of riding with tens of thousands of feet of elevation, read big hills, and it can be pretty grueling. And in real life, my my training at home, I'm pretty much a solo rider. I don't do a lot of group rides and I'm okay with that. Cycling is meditative for me and I'm perfectly happy riding for two or three hours on my own. But during these events, we amateurs are out there on our bikes for between six and eight hours every day for seven days and working together in a group saves energy and time. And I like to work together to encourage others, to chat, to keep my mind off of the hill that we're about to climb and to keep everybody's spirits up. But still through all of these long stage rides I've done, there does come a few times when I either get impatient with the group I'm in because they're going too slow for my liking and I cruise off to the front, somewhat rare, or I get frustrated with the pace I think I can't sustain and I drop off the back to spend time on my, on my own and crawl into my pain cave for a while. And there's no question that when I'm with riders that I know are stronger than I am, I avoid getting into their group at all. Well last year it was day three or four of a seven day stage race and it was a coastal ride and I'd really been looking forward to it because I couldn't wait for the beautiful views of the ocean all day long. Except that it was pouring rain and we were completely socked in by wind and fog. So about fifty miles into this, I don't know, a hundred and ten mile day, the CTS coach that I was riding with and I were stopped at a traffic light. And along beside us came a group of really, really strong riders, literal ex professional riders. Phil Sutherland and Allison Tetrick were in that group. And I had talked to and ridden sections of other events with both of those guys. And I knew that the others that were with them were just as strong, if not stronger. So I immediately felt like an imposter. And I moved to the right as the group started rolling through the light to let them go ahead. But my coach, who knew everyone in their group really well, was chatting along with them and nudged me into the pace line ahead of him when things really started rolling. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, a pace line is just a group of riders who take turns out in front of other riders to save energy and keep up a faster pace than an individual could sustain over the same amount of miles. It's like geese who take turns at the front of the V line Those in front are doing a a lot more work, creating a slipstream for for those geese behind. And when the front goose gets tired and moves to the back into the gaggle and, and another fresh goose takes over. Same thing with cyclists, except Lycra instead of feathers. So after about 25 minutes of riding in this group, I started feeling like I was pushing too hard. The danger in long days like this is that if you ride too hard for too long, you end up blowing yourself up and bonking or having a really hard time recovering that night for the 120 miles you need to ride the next day. And so I looked down at my computer, my bike computer, and our speed and the power I was putting out, and it was a lot above, a lot higher than where I would normally have been working. So I told my coach that I didn't think I could keep it up and would have to drop off at some point. And I felt myself building up this frustrated, self-depreciating head of steam. And the voice inside my head kept saying, there's no way you can keep up with these guys. You're going to blow yourself up. You don't belong here. I'd start to fall off the back, and then the headwind would blow me back 50 yards or so, and I'd realize how much energy I was going to save if I could just hold on to the wheel in front of me for just a little bit longer. So I'd sprint back up and hold on for dear life for another 15 minutes. And it all got way worse and much scarier when my CTS coach buddy had to stop because he had a flat He told me to try to hang on as long as I could. My friend Phil was great, always friendly and encouraging, but I really didn't know any of the other riders very well. And I was working too hard to introduce myself. So I just kept my mouth shut and stayed toward the back of the pace line feeling like a hanger on. But then a couple things happened. I looked down at my mileage and realized that I was only about 40 miles from the finish. With the headwind, I knew that if I had to ride the rest of that ride solo, it was going to take me about an hour longer to finish than it would if I hung on. Secondly, I remember the story my husband told me about his experience running marathons in his late teens and early twenties. He said that when he was first starting out, he'd get in a group of seemingly experienced riders and settle in behind them at a good pace. But one day something dawned on him. He said that when he first started racing, he had this idea in his head that he was trying to keep up with other runners, that even when he felt he might be able to pass someone, he didn't because he hadn't yet. But one day he did it. He just ran and he began passing people. He said that when he started running his own race, he was no longer limited by the belief that he was trying to keep up with someone else. So he just started running and he got faster and he had fun. And he grew. I had the pleasure last year of hearing Carol Dweck give a talk about her research on mindset. Her book, Mindset, the New Psychology of Success, explains the influence of mindset on personal and professional achievement. She explains that it's not just personality, intelligence, or talent that influences success or failure, it's also the way people view themselves and their abilities. People with a fixed mindset believe their abilities are set finite, limited. People with a growth mindset believe their abilities are changeable. While people with a fixed mindset have a need to prove their qualities and cover up their shortcomings and confirm or assert their greatness, people with a growth mindset care less about how good they look and they spend more time trying to improve. They stretch themselves even where failure is all but assured. So, looking down at my bike computer, doing the math, and then remembering that I wanted to be a person with a growth mindset, I decided I wasn't going to accept my limits that day. I was going to see if I could just ride faster. And lo and behold, I not only kept up, but I even took a few short pulls on the front of the pace line. I broke through my own mental limitations that day in a significant way. What I thought was a physical limit was actually a fixed mindset. I had been training in my comfort zone for the most part, and I had been mistaking discomfort for misalignment. But the truth is, change happens just outside of our comfort zone. So what's the point of all this? We spend a lot of time in our careers and in our businesses, and it's kind of routine and repetitive training. We get to know how much we can reasonably take on, how many hours a day it takes, how to marshal our energy for the seasonal flows and and quarterly reports of business, and we learn how to rally during stressful crisis times. And in that reasonable zone, that comfort zone, we begin to get lulled into a sense of a fixed state of being. Fixed resources, usually scarce, fixed time, fixed experience, fixed talent and skills, So it's no wonder that in the routine reasonable conformity that we begin running with the pack instead of running our own race. Can you break through the VP barrier? Why the heck not? Where's the edge of discomfort? And when was the last time you pushed past it? Can you make the transition to the sea level? Why the heck not? What rules are you playing by that the sea level's no longer ascribed to? Can you gain interest from high-ticket investors for your idea? Why not? What limits are you subscribing to that are keeping you at the back of the pace line? If you remember nothing else from this podcast, I hope it will be these two things. One, a growth mindset means you've never, quote, arrived. There's always room to be better and to succeed beyond your imagination. And two, We are all riddled with limiting beliefs that sabotage our potential. Make a commitment to root yours out daily, weekly, forever. Amen. Thanks and be well.